finished is better than perfect and never done. And so there's no perfect, right? There's no, there's no perfect. And even some of the most accomplished philosophers were dissatisfied with their work. And I think ADHD is really interested in this sort of triumvirate of perfectionism, anxiety, ADHD, because we are continually dissatisfied. We are never satisfied with what we've done, constantly trying to achieve that you've got to finish things, finish them, say they're done and let go. And then you can move on to that thing that's over there that you're interested in. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hi, this is Tracy Otsuka with ADHD for Smartass Women. Because I've been traveling, I had a little hiccup with my microphone. The first 10 or so minutes, my MacBook mic is doing all the recording. But please keep listening because this is such a great episode with Dr. Fiona Peters. And I do switch on my podcast mic once I realize the error of my ways. So keep listening. Thanks. Hello. I am your host, Tracy Atsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 244 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. You know that my purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So, of course, I am just delighted to introduce you today to Dr. Fiona Peters. Dr. Fiona Peters is a former BBC journalist who left journalism to pursue a PhD at the University of London that was interspersed with two periods of maternity leave. She published an academic book with Palgrave Macmillan based on her qualitative research. Today, she lives in London with her husband and two younger children and their pets. I know at least one of them is a dog. She runs a successful property business doing renovations and creating comfortable homes for tenants. And she's a speaker and trainer for schools and is currently touring with her talk entitled Perfectionism and Anxiety. Dr. Peters is also a consultant for diversity, equality, and inclusion in the workplace and specializes in ADHD. Fiona, did I get all of that right? Oh, wow. Do I do all that? I know. (laughs) So actually repeats it all back to you. Yeah. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like from the little girl that came from the council estate when, who was uh, excluded from school and didn't pass any O-levels and exams, it just feels like, I don't know, I don't know how, how she did that. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like a lot. And yeah, I'm surprised when you put it together in that, in that way. Yeah, I feel proud. Wonderful. It's, it's quite an achievement. So you alluded to the little girl who struggled in school. So can we start with your ADHD diagnoses? Um, 
first. Yeah, I mean, it was no surprise, to be honest. And um, it actually wasn't something I was even really familiar with because I didn't really understand this sort of spectrum, this brain spectrum. So when I was diagnosed, that was when I really began to dig into what ADHD was and began to learn more about myself and more about my symptoms. And so it was interesting. My my career, as you uh, suggest, it looks, it, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like achievement and it didn't feel like success. And I felt like a complete imposter most of the time. So that was an issue because I would reject myself from jobs before I even started. But you know, these feelings of not belonging and not being good enough and not knowing grammar and daddy, daddy, da, you know, all the things to talk yourself out. So I, despite having um, done some successful sort of training for organizations and written a book and done a PhD, I decided I would retrain as a secondary school teacher. So that must be like 11 to 16-year-olds. So I was in this this school just outside of London and I had the worst sensory overwhelm you could imagine. I would literally hold a scarf over my nose down the hallway. I had a boy, all boy tutor group. And honestly, the smell of teenage boys is not pleasant. And it was the winter term. So opening the windows was not really an option. And uh, the lights would bother me. The noise would bother me. Uh, so, uh, I thought, okay, so maybe I'm menopausal. So I went off to the GP and the GP said, oh yeah, I think you, you're in the menopause. And I was like, great, that explains it. And, uh, you know, and then it just didn't stop. And the overwhelm became so bad that I took a couple of weeks off work that nobody realized I was off. <laughs> I wasn't pretending to go to work, but I definitely wasn't going to work. And I would just did you have home. kids this time? Yeah, yeah, I did. This was ah, this was okay. during my diagnosis. So I was diagnosed when I was in my early fifties. I must have been like fifty-two. I'm fifty-seven now, so fifty-two, fifty-three, something like that. So I had four children, two adult children, and two teenagers. Um, so yeah, I just. Um, and I knew so that it you were in your twenties, and you didn't realize that. Oh, prepubescent and pubescent boys smell. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I know that. My son was uh, quite a clean kid, so I didn't realize that the smell would be so bad. But it was so bad. So, um, oh, but when they play sports, and then they all with their friends lock the car, and they're just uh, like, yeah, and the sweat when it sticks to their heads, and you just think, oh my, and the faces are red, and you think, oh my god, you are actually just this is unbearable. Where's the shower? Oh, it was bad. It was so bad. So anyway, long story short, HRT didn't sort it out, but I knew there was more to it. I understood that there was something Did else that was going on. Yeah, it Did does help. Help? Yeah, it, it did does help actually you. help. Yeah. Yeah. It does okay. actually help now. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of went back to the GP repeatedly saying, there's this sort of, there's this thing that I don't understand about myself. Like I never quite feel settled. I'm always quite restless. I'm quite anxious. Um, I have sort of a bit of a mood, a problem with low mood. Um, my timekeeping was terrible. Um, I felt like an imposter. I just knew there was something not quite right. And then um, I, I sort of said to him, do you think it could be a neurodivergent condition? Do you think maybe I've got ADHD or something like that? And he said, oh, it's worth um, exploring. So, so you I, actually had thought that it might be that in yeah, advance. Yeah, I, I was, because I was doing a lot of stuff with looking at the menopause and it wasn't stacking up. Yeah. It wasn't quite this. I mean, the cognitive decline, estrogen levels, the hot flashes, they were there. But then there was all this other stuff as well, like the dysregulation that wasn't quite right and was exacerbated. It was more than it, it used to be. So it wasn't, man it wasn't manageable anymore. It was just so overwhelming. It was no longer manageable. I just felt like I wasn't coping. I didn't feel resilient. And, and I think the menopause can or puberty can make you feel less resilient to yeah. your symptoms because the hormones are, are fluctuating. And of course, my estrogen levels were bombing. Um, so I was all over the place. Yeah. 
Yeah. What made you consider that it might be ADHD? You had been trained in what ADHD looks like? No, I hadn't been trained in what ADHD looks like, but I was working in a school where there were several boys, interestingly, who had ADHD. And I was the person that was asked to take them to the quiet room or take them to the head of year. So I was beginning to become more aware of these symptoms. And actually, they reminded me of myself. Oh. When I was at school, very fidgety, very anti-authority, very talkative. A very questioning, very much kind of um, disrespectful of authority, you know, wanting to do what they wanted to do all the time. And I thought, oh my goodness, I love these boys. They're great. They're rebels. And then I I realized you're a woman in your fifties. Like these are the sort of boys that you ought to be disciplining, you know, but I always had a real empathy for what they were going through and would often, you know, not encourage it, the questioning, but agree that they ought to question we ought to question so yes so definitely. so I recognize that and yeah that was a bit of a moment of maybe there's something else going on for me yeah I don't maybe that was the gift of that experience which was actually very painful but yeah maybe that actually turned the light on so what happened then so I left <laughs> I basically I left I then yeah, I, I, I left before I was diagnosed. I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I left, I had no income. There was a bit of a financial burden. When I was in academia, I'd become interested in property and investing and refurbishing, you know, properties. And so there was some rental income. So that would always been my sort of baseline and anything above that would sort of you know, would be in addition. So, so I was very fortunate to be able to leave my job. And then I picked up some training work that I had been doing before based around my research. So I could make a bit more of a living, but without the pressure and just leaving felt so much better, but I was still very uncertain until I had my diagnosis of what was wrong with me and why I couldn't just be ordinary or normal. Um, right. Yeah. So that was like, okay. And then the so diag- it wasn't a surprise when you were diagnosed. No, I was so relieved. I was so I was honestly so relieved. I remember being diagnosed and just like basically just crying throughout a lot of it. None of your kids had been diagnosed with ADHD no, prior. To none this? of them. I strongly suspect one or two. Strongly suspect one or two, and they're quite resistant to embracing it. And so I lead by example and totally embrace my own ADHD. And if and when they're ready, they can be diagnosed. But no, no, none of them have a diagnosis. So it wasn't them. You know, I know with you, your son was the catalyst. Like you. Yeah. Now I realize, oh, my gosh, of course you were ADHD your entire life, right? Yeah. But the symptoms had not reached the level that they did until perimenopause, right? That's when, you know, it just, the rails, the wheels came off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. And things that, you know, I was so bold and confident around, all of a sudden I was questioning. And it sounds like the same thing happened to you. So now I'd love to know with hindsight, when you look back, what was little Fiona like? Like, what were your symptoms? Oh my God, I was a nightmare. I was a nightmare. Do you know what my nickname was? What? At home, the provoker. (laughs) I couldn't bear things to just be quiet and relaxed. There had to be somebody like, I had to be goading or, you know, engaging someone. I couldn't ever sit. I didn't, I was a really late reader because I couldn't sit long enough to actually read. So I didn't read until I was probably about seven. I remember being quite um, busy, you know, just constantly questioning, constantly looking for things to do, being quite curious. But I was really talkative, but not popular, you know, not the little girl that would have lots of friends because I was too much um, mischievous and too naughty that actually it didn't attract the nice girls but the naughty ones, and then we'd get up to mischief together. 
So, uh-huh. you know, I wasn't a popular girl. I was just on the edge always. And I've always been sort of outside of the group, never really been that kind of, you know, yeah. cool one. But that bothered me even back then that I wasn't included in things and I had only have one or two friends. I wouldn't be part of a, a group because I was a show-off, you know, and people don't like show-offs, do they? Don't like you boasting or being the centre. So... Okay, so you were a show-off. Yeah. And other kids didn't really like you, probably, because you were always provoking, right? Yeah. You couldn't just stick an answer. It was like, well, why? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, all of that. And so what happened? What happened when you went to... uh, Did it get any better in high school? Or were you still kind of the the difficult... yeah, I went through a bereavement. I lost my mum when I was 12. She died, I felt, quite suddenly. And so I completely shut down, actually. I completely shut down. Yeah, I became very, very, very quiet. And I remember people used to speak to me and I couldn't get any words out because I was so grief-stricken. And it was a really rough, rough time. And then, you know, because you can't express your grief, you start acting out. Well, that's what I did anyway, because you want somebody to say to you what's going on for you. But sadly, I wasn't at the best schools. I didn't have that kind of pastoral support that um, you would hope that would be on offer at school. So I, um, yeah, so, so secondary school or high school was very, was a very different experience. Although I did um, meet someone that I knew probably about five years ago back then. And she told me a story of something that I'd done. And she said, Fiona, you were so naughty. Like you were so... Okay, what did you do? Are you willing to share what you did? We had a really strict PE teacher and she wouldn't let anyone on the equipment. And she told us this every day that we were in the gym. And I just came in and I got straight on the trampoline and started bouncing and got a couple of girls to bounce with me. And then she came in and I was like, I don't care, care what he said. You know, I was quite, um, yeah, I was very naughty, but then very withdrawn, very quiet. But that, that's grief, isn't it? And that internalization of, um, yeah. And not being able to manage those emotions, you know, that's the dysregulation, isn't it? And, you know, you can't really verbalize. Yeah. And then trauma, I mean, that just, the same symptoms, right? So you've got the ADHD on top of the trauma. And so what happened when yeah. you went to college? Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Tracy, about trauma, because I'd had that sort of childhood experience. I thought my ADHD was trauma. So I spent a lot of years trying to fix that through therapies or through yoga or through meditation. I really believed that I was. I couldn't let go of the fact that my mum had died and that I'd had this disrupted childhood. And I thought I was so filled with trauma that I had all of these other symptoms and consequences. I couldn't let go of that idea. So I was constantly like, I'd have my tarot cards. I'd get a spiritual reading. I'd have Reiki. I'd do yoga, meditation. You know, I was like the new age woo-woo girl, you know. And uh, I was like, I'm still traumatized. I still got trauma. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, most people are healed after two years, aren't they? I was there 30 years later. I'm still working it out. So, yeah, um, always look for more answers, right? Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, we are. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, always wanting more. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting sort of early adult life. So, yeah, very different, very different. So how did it go in college? Once you got to college, did anything change or was it pretty No, I didn't, go, I didn't go to college. I, I didn't really finish uh, high school. I didn't really finish secondary school. I was, so, I was so withdrawn. I was truant. I wasn't at school. I began shoplifting. I began doing things with, you know, sort of, I mean, I, why, how I didn't get caught, I don't know because you know, we were definitely living on the wrong side of the law. And I lived in an area that, you know, it was quite deprived. And I remember being about sort of 15 or 16, it was 1981. 
and a series of race riots broke out and I was very involved in that. And so, you know, I was, I was politicized quite early on around sort of um, black culture and, you know, equality and diversity and your rights. And, and that was my school. That was my learning. That's how, that's what I learned. I, I was, you know, I got really into very, music. Very justice sensitive, right? Which is another ADHD trait. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I didn't realize that for a long, long time. Yeah, really, yeah, really kind of um, had a lot of empathy for what was going on with the young black men in my area. They were being picked up by the police and beaten up and taken to the police station and just felt like that was all wrong. And we were a very deprived community. So, so my behavior was not unlike many others like me. And I didn't have a mum, so I wasn't watched. So I could do whatever I liked. And I did. <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't get through any exams at school. I was always had potential, but I was a complete failure at school. Did you know you were smart or did you think you weren't smart because of your experiences in school? Wow, it's an interesting dichotomy because my mum always said to me, you're a genius. And so I always believed I was really smart. And I believed that for years and years until I got into a very selective university. And even in that university, despite having almost... I probably only have two years of secondary school education before my life was completely turned upside down. And even then, that very selective university, I was top of my cohort. I was in the top sort of five, 10% of my cohort. So always felt like I was very kind of capable and, and smart, you know, and haven't been ashamed of that. So walk us through... You're getting into all this trouble, but you're also learning a lot about life, right? And yeah. right, wrong. And so how do you go from there, not, you know, graduating college, not making, doing the exams to get, you're in a selective university. How'd you do that? What happened? How? What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. What the hell? God knows how. This is ADHD. When did you decide, yeah. I'm going to do this? Do you know what? I was homeless. I was in sort of, you might call it like, foster, well, foster care. I was in foster care. And then I, yeah, then hold I on, paid. Hold on one second. I just realized that I don't have our mic on. What? I, I mean, you know, we're just doing it through the oh, computer. Yeah. But Is that hold okay? On one, give me a second. I'm going to put the good mic on. <laughs> a few moments later. Okay, we are back. I am so sorry about that. So, um, Fiona, you started tech. Tech, I hate it. I'm a Luddite. I don't know what else to say. You started to tell us about how you got from not caring about school at all to all of a sudden being courted and being accepted by um, a really, you know, what what do you call it? A really um, prestigious university. Yeah, very, what sort yeah. of group uni? Yeah, it was um, it was a long journey. I didn't get to university until I was thirty. Oh, okay. And by the time I got there, I had an eleven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Mm. Um, so what made yeah, you go ten, back? A ten-year-old and an eight-year-old. So. Um, I was the, you know, I had a relationship for 10 years and produced these two beautiful daughters who I'm extremely close to and extremely proud of, who are the absolute light of my life, as are all my four children. And so going to university was driven by this idea that I was a genius, but also because I wanted to be a better role model for my children. I needed them to see that I was capable and that they could do whatever they wanted to. And coming from the background I came from, it was unusual. Let's just say that I was the first in my family to go to university. Was it hard? I know you were in the top five to 10%, but yeah. did you have to work really hard for those grades? I loved it. Yeah, I loved working. I love working hard. I love work. 
Like, I love it. I just, uh, there is no better feeling for me than like being creative, creating from scratch, thinking, theorizing, like finding out new things, endlessly love. I love, love, love work. You know, that's why I do so many different things. Can I ask you, did you always love work? I noticed this in my son. He hates school. He just thinks it's useless, but he has always loved work and he's always been good at work. Yeah. Yeah. It seems really, yeah, it's a real juxtaposition, isn't it? I love work when it's self-directed, when I choose what I'm doing. Yes. But give me something that I have to do. Even if I own a project and somebody comes in to support me with the project and they start giving me deadlines, Mm -hmm. I start not liking work. Stuck that just don't need, I don't need that. I'm so well motivated Mm. and I get things done. I'm a finisher. So I don't need, I don't need that. I finish in my time now. I don't finish in anyone else's time. Yeah. So once you were diagnosed at, I think you said 52, 53. Yeah. Old lady. What changed? What changed? Once I had a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Everything. Literally everything. My relation, my marriage changed. My marriage was like, it was suffering because of my ADHD, undiagnosed. I was so frustrated, so dysregulated, so so moody, really difficult to live with, really dissatisfied and um, had no reason to be. I've got the most amazing husband, literally. I couldn't ask for more. Mm-hmm. Well, I could, but I won't. But um no. We can always ask for more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll reserve that option for a bit. And, um, I had no reason to be this kind of bitch from hell, but I completely was. Um, but he was—he is the most kind and patient man. So I feel very blessed. What was different, though? Was it medication? Or was it... Yeah. So I'd, I'd say, and I've spoken to my husband about this, and I think biggest the biggest 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 thing has been Mm self-acceptance huge and capital letters underline it in red in bold that has been the key for me to be kind and gentle and easy and to not beat myself up and to forgive myself I still struggle with things I struggle particularly with my eating um I've got quite disordered eating kind of not binge eating, but just like eat because I'm tired, eat because I'm emotional. I need to do work on that, actually. So I struggle with that. And I struggle with other things, too. I struggle socially sometimes organizing things and following through and booking and planning and all of that stuff I struggle with. And, you know, these are pink jobs, right, Tracy? These are the jobs that make you feel like a good wife and a good yeah. mother. And a yeah. good person, like you organize the family dues and you organize the kids and you, you know, and I've always been one for doing parties. And when I was, as soon as I was diagnosed, I thought, right, that's it. I don't have to do anything anymore because that was so much effort. It was, touched, it was so much effort. But isn't it? Okay. So I need to ask you this because I'm relating a lot to what you're saying. Before it wasn't though, right? It was so fun and everything yeah. would be so over the top. And then. All of a sudden you get to a point where this is like, I can't even manage this anymore and I don't care about it anymore. No. Yeah, Key, you don't care. I don't care about it anymore. I'll see you out in the, in the front. But you have the reputation because you've done yeah. it for so long that everybody expects, oh yeah, she's going to be the one to do it. Yeah, precisely. Especially in my family. I was the one that hosts the dinners for 12, you know, always host the dinners for 12. Yeah. And when I stopped doing it, I felt so much better. Ah, okay. So it sounds like what you just said to me was what changed was you became kinder to yourself. And in being kinder to yourself, you were kinder to everybody else, like the important people in your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. I had more energy for for myself. Uh I I didn't self-reflect. I just thought everything was wrong about me and I didn't self-reflect and try and understand you know, who I was on a deeper level, why I struggled with certain things. And I think having a diagnosis, it gives you an opportunity to to look at yourself and to see what it is that's there and to, to look at your regrets. I spent a lot of time looking at my regrets and my failures and then actually saying it's all right. 
you know, it took you to the point you're at now. And as you read my sort of resume at the beginning, you're saying, oh, you've got no regrets or failures. You've absolutely rushed it. Yep. It's not like I've left any stone unturned. But, and I'm still going, I'm still excavating stuff that, you know, to do, to keep busy so I can work because I love it. But it's a real weird, um, I hadn't given myself the space to be reflective because I wanted to be so much needed by others so much that I wasn't the popular kid, right? But I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked. And so I did lots of things in order to have that. And then it didn't fill the gap. That was never going to be the answer. So when I stopped, the mask fell off. And I just thought, oh, I like my home peaceful and quiet and calm. I don't like have to run around cleaning up, you know, like a fiend and shopping and cooking and clearing again. And in the hope that I'm appreciated, like I had my own inner value. And that's not something that I'm choosing to do at this stage in my life. So this is the perfect segue. You're an expert on perfectionism and anxiety. Yeah. How does that interface with ADHD in women? I think a lot of it is what you're talking about right here. Yeah. Well, stick ADHD at the apex of that triangle. And then you've got a perfect cocktail, especially for women, to feel dissatisfied and depressed and alone and isolated. And I think that when you're pre-diagnosis, during diagnosis, post-diagnosis, those things are still there. I'm still a perfectionist. I still have, I didn't even know I had anxiety until I heard some teenagers talking about it. And I was like, I've got that. What's it called? What is that thing? I drove from North London to South London. There was petrol leaking from my tank and I was too scared to pull over. So I just let it leak all the way. Oh, just so anxious. I just couldn't get out of the car because it was an emergency and I couldn't deal with it. I just didn't want to acknowledge. So, you know, yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, you call that anxiety. That's what that is. Well, I used to say, I don't have anxiety. I cause anxiety. And I remember my son's therapist. Well, she was a psychologist that we went to a few times because she's the one who said that our job as his parents was to reduce his expectations so he wouldn't be disappointed in life. So after oh, wow. that, I'm like, I'm out of here. But yeah. I remember her talking about um, something. And I said, well, when I was a kid, you know, I remember being so worried I was going to lose my mom. I would go to the school nurse and I would lie and say I had a stomach ache so my mom would come pick me up. And oh. You know, all kids are like, right? And she said, no, Tracy, that's that's not healthy. That's anxiety. I'm like, oh, really? Well, yeah, yeah. When someone can label your feelings, it's so liberating, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Even if it's like... Well, not so her, but anybody else. Yeah, like a 13-year-old helped me pinpoint mm -hmm. anxiety in myself. Mm -hmm. And I was a grown woman. Yeah, and you're like, so, wait a minute, I feel like that sometimes. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that. What's that called? What is that? What is what is anxiety? Oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I get far less anxious now. I don't have anxiety. So, you know, with women and with ADHD and perfectionism and this whole confidence thing, mm. I think, and I'm curious what you think about this. I believe that we all think it's an society teaches us that it's an outside job, right? We're trained to look for validation around how we look and that we play the part in how we raise our kids, how we keep our home, how we behave in social settings. And we think that that's going to make us feel more confident if we, you know, work towards society's rules or work within that box. But in truth, confidence is really, it's not an outside job, it's an inside job, right? And so we end up masking and becoming perfectionists because we're looking for validation from other people instead of validation from ourselves. So I'm curious, do you agree with that? Totally. You could see me nodding. I was like this. I was like a nodding dog. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Say it, say it, say it. Preach, preach, preach. Exactly. exactly. So then the key to confidence yeah. is really getting clear on who you are, right? And what you need and letting go of who you're not. 
just like, you know, the party planner extraordinaire, the the mom where everybody's going to come, you know, for every holiday because you're going to do it right. And honestly, I'm not sure they even care, but I know for me, I have this perfectionism. And so when I do things, I do them really well. Yeah. And so then everybody starts to expect that, but I don't even think they really care. So why are we even doing it? Right. Yeah. We can. Yeah. It's really interesting. I am. I was listening to a podcast around the power of finishing, same thing done, and how powerful it is to let go of something when you believe you can work no more on it. Because actually, finished is better than perfect and never done. And so, there's no perfect, right? Wasn't, there's, no, there's no perfect. And even some of the most accomplished philosophers were dissatisfied with their work. And I think ADHD is really interested in this sort of triumvirate of perfectionism, anxiety, ADHD, Mm -hmm. because we are continually dissatisfied. We are never satisfied. We're always striving one more thing, one more time, one more exploration, one more question, one more podcast, one more guest, one more book, one more walk. You know, we're always just wanting more we're never satisfied with what we've done constantly trying to achieve but actually we're also you know that that can make us feel like we're never never content because we're always there's always a grumbling of what next what next what next we never really settle and so perfectionism feeds that we it feeds each other and it feeds the anxiety and it's it's a it's it's quite toxic to live like that for a long time on the on the physical body. It really can. The the peaks of cortisol and adrenaline that you release. I think the flip side to that too is we do do do. We make it as perfect as we can, and then we expect other people to realize how much work we've just gone through to make it so perfect. And yeah. they rarely, if ever, do. Like, they, they don't do enough, right, considering yeah. how much work yeah. we've gone through. But they yeah, don't yeah. even know, nor do they care to do it that perfectly. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I think working with other people really highlights that for me. Because, you know, if I watch my youngest daughter, she actually passed her GCSE exams today, so she's, like, flying high. But oh, if I watch incredible. the way she does things, she works really hard, she really enjoys it, and then she knows when she's finished. She's very focused while she's there. She finishes it. She's not looking for perfect, but she is finishing things. And I, I think that is a, a more admirable quality than perfectionism. Because when other people look at what you've done, they really have the same critical eye as you. So we're very hard on ourselves anyway. We're very tough. We're never dissatisfied. We're never satisfied with what we're doing or what we've just done. We're always on to the next thing. And then we're never satisfied with ourselves either. So then you have this kind of toxic cocktail of dissatisfaction. So you just have to accept. I like the word just, not. I don't like the word just. But you have to accept (laughs) that you've got to finish things. Finish them. Say they're done and let go. And then you can move on to that thing that's over there that you're interested in. Because otherwise you just have projects following you through your life that actually you, you're done with. You want to draw a line under them, but you're not finishing them. So they're cluttering everything up, your home, yeah. your brain, your car, your, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, this inability to sort of let go because you always think, oh, I'll just edit it and I'll re-edit it. And I, I say this about myself, hands up, I'm writing another book and meh, I can't finish it. So hard. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard, but I've already got the next book that I want to write, which is for entrepreneurs with ADHD. So I need to finish this other book first, and then I can write my next book. So, you know, I live this. I do live it. It's not, I'm not here preaching, saying that I know it, I'm living it, and it's a work in progress, and, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't want to be perfect either. I also don't want to be anxious. We always talk about being a last 5% finisher. Yeah. Because so many things, we get it to 95%, it gets kind of boring. 
We think it could be better. We just let it go. And then it's just kind of hanging there. And every time, say it's something physical, you'll walk by it and it's another reminder. There she is. She didn't finish something again, right? Yeah, yeah precisely. Versus you can also use it for the positive emotion where you finish it and you walk by it. Every time you walk by it, it's like, look at what I did. I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, precisely. And I think that's really interesting because when you, I think the extreme edge of perfectionism is apathy to the point where you can't even start something because you are so disabled by the perfectionism that you're going to be riddled with. It's never going to be good enough. And this is where we really rob the world of the genius that we are because we are so worried about external validation and the fear of criticism that actually we don't start things. We stay in the crap job that we hate. We stay in the relationship that doesn't feed us. We can't imagine a new chapter. And we're fearful that if we do, as soon as we open the chapter, we're going to find fault with ourselves and fault with our choices. And this perfectionism idea, it just needs to go. We just need to kill it dead. It's, it's, it's toxic. It's so, I'm so passionate about perfectionism because I, I know how disabling it can be. So when I'm doing work with schools and with parents, because parents are the biggest, biggest peddlers of perfectionism, mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. absolutely peddle this stuff to our kids as though it was some worthy, you know, brag. Oh, you just didn't do it. Don't, if you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do it perfectly, don't do it at all. You know, if you're not going to do it well, don't do it at all. No, do it and make it shit. It's fine. Yes. And we'll go on to the next thing. You'll get better. Make progress. Yeah. Yeah, make progress. And, it, and, and do you know what? You know, in terms of creativity, there was some research done with people who make pops, vases, right? So potters. And they ah. said to one group, two groups, they said to one group, you have to make as many pots as you can within ah. a certain time frame. They said to the other group, you have to make as many perfect pots as oh. you can. Guess who ended up with the more perfect pots? The people who were told, make as many as you can, it's quantity. Get it your stuff sense. out there. Everybody's done rubbish stuff. Everybody. Usain Bolt was not born running sub 10 seconds. Yeah. He wasn't. He was running 14 like the rest of us. Yeah. You know? Or more. Or more. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. My joke is... Um, the only way I'm ever going to run is if someone's chasing me with a butcher knife. I mean, I work out every day, but <laughs> running is not my thing. No, not mine. It's not mine. Yeah. But, you know, that's one thing of perfectionism. I love that. If you've been listening for a while, I bet you're starting to see your strengths and, dare I say, brilliance. So maybe you can imagine what working with me might be like. I always tell ADHD women, once you know you have ADHD, you study what ADHD looks like in women and specifically what ADHD looks like in you. Forget about listening to all the experts. You don't need them. You already have the best expert on you, and that's you. I teach ADHD women how to trust themselves and build their confidence, and that starts with really learning about who they are what's truly important to them, and what they need to be happy. And that's exactly what we do in our six-week program. Your ADHD brain is A-OK. -okay. It includes my patented six-step program, live coaching with me, and a private community of women just like you. To join our new cohort, find out more at spyhappy.me forward slash A-OK. Use the code PODCASTSASS, S-A-S-S, -S, to get $500 off the program just for being a valued podcast listener. So now, let's get back to our podcast. So you're also a consultant for diversity, equality, and inclusion in the workplace, yeah. and you specialize in ADHD. Yeah. So when women have asked me in the past about disclosing their ADHD, I've always advised to be careful because... If you don't have a strong relationship with your supervisor or once the cat's out of the bag, you can't put the cat back in the bag, right? So my advice has always been talk about symptoms rather than the diagnoses. For example, I'm really quick and efficient when I'm in a quiet place versus if I'm in a bullpen, you know, with everybody else and make them understand how if you are in the ideal environment, you're going to be even more productive. Yeah. But 
now I'm rethinking that a bit because the more people talk about ADHD, the more likely it is that we all help to educate employers so that they understand how beneficial our neurodivergent brains can be to their workplace. And by not disclosing it, we're perpetuating the shame. And so I'd love to know from you what you advise mm. in these instances. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that this is very unique. It's still early days in terms of ADHD. There might be a plethora of platforms and people and organizations working in the neurodivergent space. ADHD in women is very under-researched. There's a lot of uh, sexism still in the workplace. For ADHD women who are emotionally dysregulated, who often have imposter syndrome, who often overwork, um, who have anxiety, who are perfectionists, I feel like disclosure to somebody that they're not 120% certain that they can trust can be a mistake. They ca that can be a regret. I've been in a meeting before where a colleague disclosed ADHD in an informal way uh, to me and other colleagues, and it fell on silence. It was the most awkward moment for everybody. Nobody knows what to say. But this is the impulsivity of ADHD. You just blurt out your diagnosis, right? Yes. So yeah. what I think is a way of doing things is to create a, a little manual of yourself. So, for example, you know, you're working with a new manager. The manager says to you, oh, you know, should we have our first meeting? And you say, yeah, that would be great. I can't wait to inform you about the best ways that we can work together because this is how I work. I don't need constant chasing. If you've got a deadline, it needs to be quick. You need to proofread my work because I've got mild dyslexia. I don't work well in open plan. I'm distracting and a distraction and I'll be distracted. Distracting. I I'm love that. Yeah, I'm distracted. Well, and that's so brilliant because that is about the rest of their employees, right? Yeah, that's brilliant. Like typicals over there. Like we normalize ourselves by saying, this is how best you can engage with me. I've got to engage with you and you don't work very well. <laughs> no. Your way of working isn't my way of working. And don't we all need that? Mm -hmm. And likewise, if you open that conversation, your manager then says, oh, interesting. Okay, so I'm not good at this, this, and this, but I'm brilliant at this, this, and this. And all of a sudden, then you've got a meeting of values and you can agree a way forward. I think if you're disclosing, you can't just blurt out, I've got ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because most people don't know what it means, right? And what I've noticed is so many, especially young women, even young women, but I've heard it from a lot of young women that they've been bullied. Like it really seems like bullying in the workplace is a real thing. And yeah. I read a study at how that affects your mental health and how horrible it is for your nervous system. So if you've got ADHD and your nervous system is already dysregulated, I can only imagine it. Then you're all stressed and anxious about a boss who's a bully, right? Or who's bullying you. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, any vulnerability in the workplace, you just need one person to sniff out your vulnerability and that's it. You are a victim of workplace bullying. So I think it's, I don't think we're quite there yet in the climate. This is just my personal opinion. I don't think we're quite there yet in our workplace culture, our organizational culture where these sorts of things can become open dialogue and, you know, people need a lot more awareness and education before neurodivergent brains become a sort of... Sought after? Yeah. Equitable. 
you know, before we see the equity that we need. Uh, and that's not quite there yet. And we ought to be sought after. I mean, there's some organizations that are working with autistic spectrum condition. They're looking for programmers and maths guys and, you know, that sort of tech stuff. But when you talk about ADHD, that's not necessarily the case. ADHD is more of an entrepreneurial drive. We're very much the bosses. So let's talk about how does neurodiversity bring value to organizations? What have you seen? Well, without us, there would be no organization. Let's just draw a line <laughs> onto that right there. I love it. There'd be no Virgin. There'd be no Apple. There'd be no Ikea. Mm-hmm. You know, let's have a look at the reality here of, you know, what we bring to the table. There are JetBlue Airways. You know, there are so many, so, so many. That's just business. You know, you look at entertainment and music is absolutely chock full of ADHD brains, particularly. And we are not the employees, we're the employers, we're the people Mm -hmm. who have the vision and the ideas and the drive to create. That's our, that's our restlessness. That's the dissatisfaction. We can do it better. I can do that better. I can do that better. Oh, if I was doing that, I'd do it this way. You know, we're always like trying to improve on something. So I think in some industries, finance, for example, tech, it's much more autistic spectrum conditions. Yeah. However, in anything that is people, entrepreneurs, entertainment, new new and novel ideas, it's very much ADD, ADD, ADHD. So those industries are quite split, I feel. Um, They're quite divided. Okay, we bring the ideas, we start the companies, and then what? Neurotypicals take it over and muck it up? Because we need that too, right? They come in, they come in. Because I work with a woman, uh, she's great, she's neurotypical, and uh, she's much better educated than I am. She managed to stay in school and get great grades and but she doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. She wants ah. to work and she wants structure and routine. And I don't. So, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, on a bigger scale, that can happen. Uh, and that's when we need to become the visionary. We need to become the person who's driving the business forward and the ideas for, forward. And what happens is we often get stuck in the mundane day-to-day running of a business when we don't want to be doing that. We don't want to be doing tax returns, filing accounts, arranging gas safety certificates, doing electrical plans, interviewing tenants. Like We don't want to do any of that stuff. We Creating presentations, which is my nemesis because I work with presentations, but creating them. Ugh. So we get, we get trapped in our, and we, we have to be able to run a business where we continue to have the same energy levels of entrepreneurship and creativity and we can't get stuck in the mundane. We've got to learn to delegate and know our strengths and know what we feed off and know what helps us thrive. Otherwise, we can become, uh, we can put ourselves in the neurotypical role and that's not where we're going to be happy. That's not where we're going to be creative. That's not where we're going to have like, oh, I've got another idea. I'm going to write another book. Like we don't do that well and we become trapped in that. So I think that's a real, that's a real danger zone for us. I see a lot of young entrepreneurs who will tell me, I can't afford to hire help. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you can't afford not to hire help because you're never going to get to the point where your business will actually take off and be able to support you and, of course, other employees. If you don't get help on these things that need to be done regularly, that you're not doing now, and that are stressing you the hell out so you don't have time for the creative pursuits. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I wasn't doing my invoicing. I wasn't getting paid. Mm-hmm. In like 90 mm-hmm. days, I was like, oh, I can't do an invoice. Oh. And now I get paid within a week. Like, the invoices are done. They're done. Business cards are done. Everything gets done. I come up with a lovely list. And I delegate everything and I do the things that I want to do. The presentations are still, I'm doing presentations, but most of it, 
It's delegated. I don't out. know if you can delegate presentations. Can you? Because you're no, there. Not really. The content needs to be. I need to do the content, and that's. I do enjoy arranging the narrative. I love the storytelling aspect of doing them, but don't like putting together the slides. So my husband, who does, puts them together for me. So delegation is. I'm the queen of it. You've gotten really good at it. I had to because I'm rubbish at loads of things. Mm-hmm. But brilliant at loads of things, right? Precisely. So let me stay in my, I'll slay in my lane. Yeah. I'll stay, slay in my lane and do what I'm brilliant at. And if there's a skill I want to learn, it will be something like learning the piano or learning guitar. So it's not going to be learning Excel. No. Uh. That will kill me dead. Exactly. So what do you think the key is to living successfully with ADHD? Oh, like I said earlier, self-acceptance. Self-acceptance will open your life up to opportunity. Because when you truly accept who you are and you can look critically at your strengths as in balance with your weaknesses and you can work in your strength zone, you begin to realize how brilliant you can be, how absolutely brilliant you can be and how engaged and how in love with what you're doing and with with the life that you have the potential to create. So self-acceptance, if you don't accept yourself, you're never going to believe you're good enough. You're always going to hide your light. You're always going to look for validation. You're always going to feel like perfectionism is the only way to do anything. And that's going to make you anxious. And when you're in that state, you cannot, your brain, your actual brain cannot create. You're in fight or flight. You're in trauma-informed modes of being. Fight or flight or freeze is, is really not a creative space. Uh, so if you're in that, bringing yourself into calm, peace, experiencing boredom and being okay, being bored. Some days I'm bored and I'm okay. I'm like, oh, I'm bored. That's nice. It's empty. Lovely. Marvelous. I love it. I used to never like being bored. I'd fill my life with people to alleviate the confrontation of myself. And I think self-acceptance is about self-confrontation and saying, yeah, you, you've done some crap things and there's, you've done some things that are wrong morally and not to be proud of. But actually, look at the other things that you've done and accept that that's, that's you. You're a human being. So self-acceptance is the key for me. And not for everybody. Everybody's got their own unique keys right. and their own locks. I wouldn't like to have a key to your front door and get, let myself in. But everyone's got their own unique kind of ways of living successfully it's different for everyone um, but Absolutely. for me it's self-acceptance been a game changer do you have a number one adhd workaround delegation oh yeah oh yeah absolutely delegation. that's a great one yeah de- delegate everything delegate your if you can afford if you even if you can't afford to prioritize things that take things out of your zone of responsibility right so if, for example, you're running your business and you know that, uh, you know, say, for example, for me, I need to search through properties, right? And look on Rightmove and find out what's for sale and put it in a spreadsheet and work and do the numbers and work out the profits and work out the costs. But I don't do that. I don't want to do that. I want to go and walk the property and meet the vendor and meet the agent and look at the space and sketch up a drawing, see what's possible. You know, I don't need to be looking at everything. I don't need to clean the house. Delegate, delegate, delegate. Work out what you love doing and do more of that. And if you delegate the rest, you'll have more time to do more of what you love, right? And And you're you're going to have more more money money because you're moving things forward. Yeah, you make more money doing what you love. So delegate. So... Where can people find you, Fiona, if they want to know more about you and what you do? I think you should talk about um, ADHD life. Yeah, so it's just, it's, it's fledgling. It's, it's new, like a new baby, you know, but it's demanding. Yeah, I know. They are. New babies are demanding. 
new babies are demanding. I've forgotten why I hadn't had a baby in 16 years. I've forgotten what it's like to have a baby. But it's my new baby and it's for entrepreneurs. It's ADHD entrepreneurs life. And in between ADHD life, there's the entrepreneur label, which lets people know exactly who it's for. I love the ADHD brain. Um, it's so creative and driven and motivated, and but it's also quite scattered and disorganized and needs help to structure and plan and create. So you get your best work. So really, my focus is two prongs. So I focus on energy. How do you maximize it? So it's very much about you need your best energy for your best work. When are you most alive? What brings you alive? What makes you feel great? What do you eat that makes you feel great? Where do you go? Who makes you feel great? You know, so knowing yourself on a deep level and exposing yourself to all the good stuff. Forget about the bad stuff. Try and cry, crowd out the bad stuff, like the energy drainers. Feel, replace them with people that feed you and uh, that inspire you. Processed food, replace it with really lovely, fresh meals. And, and, do, and delegate that as much as you can as well. Get a box delivered. Ask someone else to cook for you and trade it for some whatever they need. So very much focusing on maximizing your energy, getting in touch with who you are and what feeds you. Then the second prong is productivity. Because once you're energized, you will be like a motor. You will smash through things. So it's about getting your goals and visions for your life clear from a place of feeling fulfilled not depleted when 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 we're in that anxious state and we're regretful and feeling like we failed we can't think about the next step because the next step is too small so once we're feeling great we can think really big and once we're feeling like we can think big then we can create some baby steps to take us to our greatness and so it's productivity and energy so if anyone wants to find more energy and be more productive then they can come and find me. I'm on whatever platform you find me on, Dr. Fiona. Let's go that. So we're, okay, give us your website. So just so we're clear, ADHD Life, it's an online community for entrepreneurs. Yes, it is. And you focus on not only their professional life, but also personal life. Totally. Yeah, there's more professional life without personal life, is there? It's so intertwined. Okay, and so where can they find you? So we have an Instagram that is called ADHD Entrepreneurs Life. And you can find everything about ADHD Entrepreneurs Life also on my website. So that's drfionapeters.co.uk. And on there, you'll find out about ADHD Entrepreneurs Life as well as about the training that I do in organizations and a little bit about my research background. So yeah, come and come and check me out. There's also a public Facebook group, which people can join, which is free. So on there, there'll be some resources and also a kind of support community where people can kind of post questions and give tips and tools and tricks. So it's an online community. It's global. So we want everyone to join. If Wonderful. you're in business or think you're in business, if you have ADHD, if it's diagnosed or not, as long as you've got those symptoms and you feel like you're in a place where you want to make some improvements, then jump on. Sounds great. All of this will be in the show notes as far as links. Fiona, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Lovely. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of yours. And this is a dream come true to have an interview with you. When I started listening to you, you literally, you actually saved me. Post-diagnosis, you were the woman who came into my life through my headphones and gave me hope. Through your interviews, through your information, through your entertaining kind of educational stories, and I just thought, you know what? I'll be happy to belong to this this uh, this group of ADHD for smart-ass women. And now I'm here. I'm like, what? Well, and now you're going to inspire other women, right, who were in your position when you started listening. So that's thank what it's you. all about, isn't it? It's paying forward. I mean, 
And I'm not that far from my diagnosis either. So I still remember what that was like. And yeah, let me just say there is hope and there is support and you're not alone and we're here. So yeah, just keep tuning in to Tracy because she's a legend. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's what I, I am not a legend, but thank you for being here. Seth, to me. Okay. And I've introduced all my ADHD friends to you. Yeah. And they've Thank all you. had diagnoses because of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Dr. Fiona Peters, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.